Good morning, everyone. It's a bit of a challenge to me to do something on healing this week because I've had the most atrocious cold all week. And um, you can probably hear, I've chosen not to have the head mic on, but to use this one. Because if I have to blow my nose with the head mic on, it'll probably blast you all out of your seat. So, so um, yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge. So continuing our series today on hearing God. And I think we'll notice that the other weeks that we've had on hearing God will all come, become very important in this week on hearing God. The testimonies we have about obedience, the uh, words that Peter brought about hearing God accurately, hearing words from God accurately, the presence that Marie was speaking about a couple of weeks ago, and also what Josh brought about discernment. You know, those are all really important things when we come to think about healing. And I guess we all need healing all the time in different ways, don't we? Uh, whether it's for past hurts, might need emotional healing, we might need relational healing in our relationships. We might need healing through loss because we are going through a period of loss. All sorts of healing we need in our body, in our soul, in our spirit. But I guess it comes to the fore for us mainly when we are physically ill. It certainly did for me. This, this week, you know, it really comes to the fore when you have a physical illness. So it becomes really important to us, healing, but how important is it actually to God? Well, in Exodus, God says this, I am the God who heals. Very clear, very clear statement. I am the God who heals. Why would he want people to know that? Well, we were created in his image, as we know, and we were created to have the fullness of life that he intended for us. He intended us to be whole in our body, in our soul, in our spirit, and most importantly, he intended us to remain in a relationship with him because it's through that relationship that everything else flows. So Adam and Eve had it made. All they had to do was to make the right choice. Easy, isn't it? No, they didn't make the right choice. They chose, well, we're not going to live as God wants us to live and how he thinks is best, we'll go off and do our own thing. Well, the result, as we know, wasn't pretty. It opened up to the brokenness that we, we know today. The people then suffered the same things as we, su we suffer now. They started to suffer with physical illness, with broken relationships, with trauma. All the things we struggle with they struggled with. But God is desperate for us to have what he intended us to have. 
And so he said, look, I know you've messed up, but I am the God who heals you. I am your healer. Choose these things. Choose well and come back into a relationship with me and you will have your wholeness. But still, mankind struggled to make the right choices. And so it becomes impossible, really. And God has his next plan to send Jesus. Now, Jesus came as a man, just as we are, men and women, with same body, same ability to choose, same ability to do the right or wrong, no special power. But the thing with Jesus was that he always chose obedience. Quite different to the choices that Adam made. He always chose to be obedient. And it was this obedience that took him to the cross. And it was because of his obedience that sickness and death had no power over him because the results of the choices and the sinful choices that we make result in brokenness and death. But Jesus never disobeyed God. And so brokenness and death could not have any hold over him. But instead, he chose to take our brokenness so that he could die as our perfect sacrifice and therefore we could have life again through him. So we can see what lengths that Jesus goes to and God goes to to bring us back into the wholeness and into the health that he first intended we should have. So, if that's the case then, if he's that keen for us to have it, why is it that I perhaps have prayed for something for a long time and it hasn't come about? If this is who God is, if he's my healer, why would that be? And we can have doubts that creep in. And I just want to mention two of the doubts that are really common ones that we can be discouraged by. We might think, well, he does that for everyone else. But is my issue, is my problem, am I significant enough for him in the grand scheme of things, to worry about. Now, in Luke, we find someone who had the same worry, who had the same concern. He was a leper. He'd had leprosy for years, and the text says that the leprosy covered him. What a, a painful 
situation that would be to be covered in leprosy, physically painful and emotionally painful, very disfigured. And the leper comes to Jesus and he says, are you willing to heal me? Now, I can understand why he'd say that, because no one else is willing to be near him. Why would Jesus be? This is a man who has suffered profound shame because of his illness, an outcast, profound loneliness, profound disconnection. No one else wants to be near me. Are you willing Jesus. Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And the leprosy leaves him. Now, the willingness that Jesus is talking about here is not necessarily the same willingness that you or I might have. Uh, well, you might. Yours might be a step up than mine. But um, you know, the willingness, for instance, when Graham and I are away on holiday, we might like to do the same things, but not necessarily. Some things Graham would like to do, I don't want to do. But I might be willing to do it because I know Graham wants to do it. It wouldn't really float my boat to go to the Radar Museum in Norfolk, to be absolutely honest. But it might be somewhere that Graham would like. So I'll go, because I want to see Graham enjoying himself. I love to see Graham enjoying that. But it's not something I want to do. And likewise, I mean, Graham being the lovely husband he is, might even go a step further. And if there's something that I would like to do that he notices that he doesn't want to do, he might even suggest it. And that's one step further. I mean, it's not that he would want to go to the teddy bear museum. <laughs> you know, he knows I would enjoy it. Oh, I know. He, he knows that I would enjoy it. You'd enjoy it, Mark. Absolutely, we'll go. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you see, this isn't the willingness that Jesus has. When Jesus is talking to the leper, he says, I want this as much as you do. We both want this. I am desperate for you to have the healing. I just so want that. I agree with you. And he heals him. And not only has he healed his leprosy, he's seen beyond. Because he could just say, be clean, and the leprosy would have gone. But he touched him. And that touch signified to him, you are included now. Your uncleanliness cannot be transferred to me. I have transferred my cleanliness to you. And you are now clean. You are included. You can have your relationships again. There is no shame for you now. It's all done. I wanted that too. And, you know, Jesus looks behind at what's behind the obvious, excuse me. 
He looks behind our life at what is behind the obvious. And there may be people here or looking at this later that feel disconnected, that feel that effect of shame, that feel that they're not included. Jesus wants to touch you and do something with that. So then if Jesus is able to do it, he went to all that trouble to bring us healing and wholeness, and he's willing, well, what other reason could there be? Is it, perhaps, that I don't have enough faith? <clears throat> now, I hope none of us have had the experience of having have it suggested to us that we haven't received something because we haven't got enough faith. I would hope not. Um, I have, of anyone who has had that said to them, I have never heard anyone say it's been in the slightest bit encouraging. Usually, it's had the opposite effect because they're thinking, well, not only am I sick, but I'm not good enough as well. So, I might as well give up. Now, it is true that Jesus commends faith where he sees it. And in the account of the woman who um, stretched out her hand, she had been bleeding for a number of years, she stretched out her hand because she knew that if she did that, she could just touch Jesus' robe. He would heal her. And he says to her, your faith has made you well. So he commends her for that. And the centurion that comes to him says, I'm a man under authority because I'm a soldier. I know that you have the authority to heal. My servant is sick, and I know that if you say the word, my servant will be well. And he says to the centurion, I've never seen such faith. Go, your servant is healed. So Jesus really encourages faith. He loves it. But we notice that it's not the sick person who has the faith in that story. It's the centurion. So one of the ways that we can encourage others when they're sick is to have faith on their behalf. Not to put the onus on them to have more faith, but we can have faith just like the centurion did on their behalf. So we know Jesus appreciates faith. He responds to faith. But it's not a prerequisite for healing. It's not that we need a certain amount before Jesus will heal us. Jesus passed a funeral in the street. He was walking along and a family came out of the house who were just about to bury one of their family members. And Jesus just had compassion on them and raised the man from the dead. Now, we don't know if anybody had any faith. Jesus just did that because he had compassion on them. And we've heard about his compassion today in the psalm. 
You see, when we start getting into the realms of having enough faith, it becomes about how good I can be. It becomes about earning something from God. And actually, it's not about who I am. It's about who he is. It's not about what I can do. It's about what he has done. The man at the pool of Bethesda didn't even know who Jesus was. Completely unaware. Jesus said to him, how long have you been like this? Do you want to get well? And he healed him. Afterwards, he caught up with him in the temple. And he said, now you're well now. But if you don't change your life, something worse will happen. Now, what could be worse? What did he have to change about his life? I mean, he'd been lying on a mat for years because he couldn't walk or move. What did he do that was so awful, just lying on a mat? Why did he need to change his life? Why did Jesus say that? Well, the text doesn't specify but I think what he was saying to that man was, there is something more important for you than your physical healing. Because when you come to the end of your life, the physical healing you have received now won't mean a lot if you haven't received your salvation. You see, Jesus is interested in not just what is in the foreground for us, He's interested in the background. He's interested about what's in the future, not just about our present. He's interested in our whole self, not just the present self. So Jesus was concerned for the man's whole well-being. And he was telling him, there is something worse if you don't sort your life out. You need to come to me and receive your salvation. So then if faith isn't a problem, then what about forgiveness? In the account of the four men lowering their friend through the roof, again, it's the friends who have the faith, apparently. We don't know if the man who was sick had any. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and he is healed. Now, there's a clear link, isn't there, between forgiveness and healing that Jesus is making here. But does it mean, then, that if I'm not receiving my healing, it must mean that there must be somebody I haven't forgiven or I haven't asked God for enough for my own forgiveness. Now, the disciples seemed to understand there was this link because when they were talking to Jesus about the man who was blind from birth, they asked him, well, who sinned? Was it the man? Was it his parents? It's about who, who sinned then? And Jesus said, nobody. It's nothing to do with that. 
I did this so that I could show the glory of God. So, I wonder, what is it that God is wanting to do in your life today? You see, we do like a formula, don't we? Quite a lot of us. Some of us like formulas more than others. <laughs> we, we do like it if we can say... If I do X and Y, that'll happen. But you see, the stories in the Bible that we read about in, with the healings in them are not a blueprint for how to do it. Because if we look at them, there's something different about all of them. There's not the same ingredients. It's forgiveness here. It might be faith there. It's just compassion over there. They're all different. So it doesn't provide us with a blueprint for how healing happens. The only thing, there's one common denominator in all the stories. Anybody know what that might be? What is the one common denominator in all the stories that we read? One person, who was there? Who appears in all of them? Jesus. Jesus is the only common denominator in all the stories of healing that there are. His presence was all that was necessary. And he knew what he needed to do in every individual case. Because he heard the Father's voice. He discerned. He listened. And he knew what he needed to do. But what the stories do, do show us is the power and the authority of the kingdom of God. They show us what authority Jesus has. They show us the character of the Father. They show us what the kingdom of God is like. And that's what we can gain through these stories. See, I don't know about you, but I quite like to project manage God if I can. I understand that the world's his project. I understand that I'm his project. But actually, I can tell him how he needs to manage it. I, I like to tell him what he needs to do, how he needs to do it, and when he needs to do it. And if he could just sort this bit out for me, I can manage the rest. Thank you very much. I don't think he agrees with me. But, you know, we can fall into those kind of traps, can't we? And sometimes, though, he does something in an unusual way. And I just want to give a, a testimony, a short one, um, of what God did for me. And if I was going to think of him doing something, I wouldn't have thought of it this way. So it starts 20 years ago when I was uh, diagnosed with a couple of um, autoimmune disorders. Uh, one of them, uh, polymyositis, poly meaning lots and myo muscle, and itis meaning inflammation, meant I had um, chronic inflammation of all my muscles and my muscle mass uh, depleted 
um, scarily, quickly and significantly. And um, because it's not a very common uh, disease, it wasn't really picked up very early. And so by the time um, it was picked up, I was really ill. I could hardly walk. I couldn't really swallow. My eye muscles had really gone. Um, breathing was getting difficult. Um, I mean, you have muscle everywhere. And I was getting to a very, very serious state. So eventually I received a diagnosis and I was put on two steroids, which were marvelous. I felt great on steroids. I got really quickly improved. But they're not great things to be on long term because they have nasty side effects. And I'd been on them eight years. And um, I've been prayed for. I kept asking God, I kept praying, and nothing seemed to change. And then I went to Chorley Wood, and there was a, a guy there speaking who had a healing ministry. I went forward for prayer, and he seemed to be taking ages with everybody, and I thought, oh, this, this looks good. And um, got to me, and he just said, um, this woman needs a bolt from you. And off he went. <laughs> oh, well. Well, that's great, isn't it? I don't know what to make of that. So, anyway, I went home. Didn't think anything more about it. Well, several months later, I got one. And I don't know if you remember the, the meetings in the tent at Latimer. And one evening, there was a healing meeting on the Friday night. And I began to feel really excited about this meeting. Now, it wasn't any faith I had particularly... It must have been an excitement that God put in me because he knew what he was going to do. I went along to the meeting, rushed up to the front for the prayer and the lady started praying for me and within, I would say, 15 seconds, I got the most awful headache um, that came upon me. I'm not usually a particularly headachey person, but this was a really thumping headache. I felt nauseous, I felt dizzy, and in the end, I, ha I just had to say, I'm sorry, I've got to go home. And I did, and I went home, took some painkillers, um, felt better, and I have to say, I felt more than somewhat peeved with God. Because, what are you, what are you doing? Um, couldn't understand it. I thought, well, I don't really want, I don't want to accept this. So I, I, I asked people to pray again. So I, I, I asked some people in the church to pray for me again the next week. And they prayed and nothing happened. And then one person said, well, when, when did these diseases occur? And I described it was a really quite a stressful time in life with different things going on. And they started praying about that time, and nothing happened. And then one said, there's something earlier on in your life. When did you feel stress earlier on in your life? And immediately I said, when I was eight and my father lost his sight. They started praying about that time, and the headache came back within seconds, just the same. Thumping, I felt nauseous, had to go home lay down, take painkillers. And I thought, God is saying something. It has to be God telling me something. This has to be a sign from God. 
And Graham said, well, if you're going for prayer again, take painkillers before you go. <laughs> uh, so I thought, well, God is telling me something through this. And I thought, I need somebody who understands what's going on here. And so I phoned a guy called Chris Andrew. He and his wife, Pauline, run Deep Release Ministries. Uh, Pauline has actually been here to do a couple of workshops. Um, Chris is a retired um, psychiatrist, and I, I went to see him. And he saw what God was doing. He saw what the Father was doing. And he said, Sally, you were right to think that God was going to do something for you on that Friday night. What he did was reveal to you the mechanism through which you deal with stress. And you need to change that. It's a little bit like Jesus saying, you know, you're, you, there's something here you need to change in your life. And so I saw Chris for about six or seven times. We worked together on that eight-year-old child whose family changed, whose dad suddenly wasn't the same dad. Mum wasn't the same mum because she was taken up with anxiety. The whole family was anxious. And there was no help, really, to get through that. And so as a child, my body had learnt to pick up the anxiety and to deal with it through physical means. And I worked with Chris on that. And there were some lovely extra treasures at that, that time. There were times, as we discussed, that I came upon things that I needed to forgive people for that I hadn't been aware of. I needed to forgive my dad for some things. And I needed to receive forgiveness for those things too. And so Jesus released at that time all sorts of healing that I wouldn't have got if he'd have just said, be healed, the myositis would have gone, but I wouldn't have gone, got any of that extra benefit. And I would have been no better off in how I dealt with life. So sometimes Jesus has different ways to do things. And um, I have to be honest, I still have the other autoimmune disorder. God didn't heal that at that time. I still have that. I'm still in faith for that. I still trust God with that. Because he is a much bigger God. He is the sovereign God who knows me. And I need to trust him with that. And I just want to say, if there are any here who have been seeking God over a long period of time, and you haven't seen God answer, or God hasn't answered in the way that you would have liked him to answer, and you still place your trust in him, that faith is not a second-rate faith. That faith is precious to God. See, he says, I am the God who heals. I am sovereign. 
I am desperate for you to be healed, but I know you better than you know you. But you can trust me to do what I do as God. I am the God who heals. Our Emmanuel, the God who heals here, now, in this room, on the 12th of March, Emmanuel brought to earth for us. So why don't we come to him now and give him a chance to touch us and speak to us. So shall we pray? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.